comes louder. He's one on one with Hemsley, and Hemsley blocks it. Mitchell spins on Childs and one. Cal up top. Shepard. Shepard was asking for it for three. And he popped it deep. He was banging. Well, Watson and a foul. This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. What's up, Aztec fans? Welcome to the Aztec Breakdown Podcast. My name's Trone. I'll be your host. In the second segment later, we will be joined by John Niatawa of the Half Court Press Podcast. He covers Creighton basketball and Nebraska basketball, mostly Creighton and other Creighton sports as well. So if you get a chance, if you're interested, be sure to check it out. He does some good work. I want to remind everybody to follow, subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Uh, make sure you go to anchor.fm slash Aztec Breakdown. You can see all the places to find this podcast. You can support the podcast to make it easier for me to do what I'm doing. You can send in voice messages. I highly encourage people to send in voice messages, questions, comments, criticisms, whatever. You can call me an idiot. I'll put it on. It doesn't matter to me um, because I like just the dialogue of it. And I think it makes for a better episode. So be sure to do that. Find me on Twitter, find me on YouTube. It's all under Aztec Breakdown. First off, real quick, I wanted to talk about Yanni Wetzel. He got Mountain West Player of the Week for this past week playing against San Diego and Long Island University. Dude's been on a tear. I think his numbers for the past two games where he made 15 out of 18 shots, which is awesome. And one of those shots was a three-pointer. Plus, he's been setting guys up. He's been guarding the, the hoop down low when Nathan's getting, getting a breather. So dude is all over the place. And I think the award was well-earned. Yanni currently has the fourth best PIPM score on the team of players who have played at least 30 minutes. His score is 5.79, which means over the course of 100 possessions, he's 5.79 points better than an average player or more impactful than an average player would be. He's behind Malachi Flynn, Jordan Shackle, and Matt Mitchell as of recording, which is before the Tennessee State game. So after the Tennessee State game, when you guys are actually listening to this, it'll be different. But it's still worth noting. Dude's been on a tear. He's been making me eat some serious crow because I've been saying since before the season started that we'll have to live with him missing a couple chip shots every game, at least one, if not two, that seem to be like easy buckets that should go in and they'll just bounce out. And the past couple games that hasn't happened. So hopefully he can keep it up. Congratulations to Yanni and congratulations to all of us for being able to watch him. Those post moves are ridiculous sometimes. So that's great. One of the other things I wanted to talk about really quickly before going to break is I'm sure most of my listeners already realize this, but I wanted to put it out there again. There's been some noise about the rebounding differential in the Long Island game because it was the first game that an Aztec opponent got more rebounds than the Aztecs did. And I've seen it a couple places, most notably Mark Ziegler wrote about it for the San Diego union tribune to his credit. I think Mark is good at his job 
and I think he's well connected. And I think a lot of what he does is, I don't know if he's technically considered a beat writer, but I think he does a lot of what a beat writer generally does is just kind of saying what he hears from the coaches more so than doing in-depth analysis. And I think he does do some analysis, but I think most of it is just kind of repeating what the coaches tell him from as best as I can tell anyway. I don't know if that's the case. My point is I don't want to dog on the guy too much. I do in general enjoy reading his articles. But in the case of the Long Island game, the rebounding differential wasn't actually a big deal because when you look at the the rebounding rates, meaning how many of the rebounds the Aztecs got that they had a chance to get, the Aztecs were better on both sides of the ball than Long Island was. And it was just the case that the Aztecs took so many more shots because of all the turnovers they forced and all the fouls they committed. So that first one being a good thing, the second one not not being such a good thing. But those two things combined to make it so Long Island didn't take as many shots. The Aztecs took, I think, 20 or 21 more shots than Long Island did. And Long Island still only came out with four more rebounds. So when you put it into that context, it's not nearly as big of a deal. It's not something I think should be worried about in that context. It is something I'm looking forward. Like I said, tonight, it's before the Tennessee State game. Tennessee State has some big players. I'm interested to see how the Aztecs rebound against a bigger team. Even if this team isn't great at rebounding, just in terms of the size. You know, it's one thing to out-rebound your opponents when – their tallest player is like six, seven and their next tallest player is six, five or whatever. And you got two, six, 10 guys out there. That's one thing. It's a little bit different when they're about the same size as you are. So that's something I'm looking forward to seeing. And that's something we will also be looking for during the Creighton game. And earlier when I was recording with John, we talked about that. So there's a little teaser for you. The last thing I wanted to talk about real quick before the break was KJ Fagan. And he's had kind of a slow start, in my opinion. And I don't know if I'm the only one who has that opinion, but it's there. It's out there. You know, he's shooting 33% from behind the arc, which is so far for the season, at least. When, when I look at the Ken Palm numbers, the average for Division One is 32.8%. So technically, KJ shooting 33.3% is above average, even if that's only slightly. The problem is it's not what he was billed as being when he came to San Diego State. And I know I've seen a lot of places where people said he would be this great scorer because he scored almost 18 points a game at Santa Clara in his last full season there. And when I looked at the tape, I did think he would be more of a facilitator. But even when you look at the facilitating, through five games, he has 14 assists, which isn't bad. It's it's not stellar. It's not what I thought it would be. But it's not bad inherently. But he also has nine turnovers through five games. And that that could definitely be better. That number worries me a little bit more than the assist numbers do. And it's just something I've been wondering about. His defense also hasn't been super great. Malachi Flynn has impressed me with his defense because 
even though you can get by Malachi Flynn, if if he's closing out to you or in isolation or around a screen or something, Malachi Flynn is also a pretty smart player. And I feel like he recognizes what the opposing offense is trying to do. And he uses that knowledge to get into passing lanes or just disrupt things. He's gotten a couple steals that way. He's also gotten a couple steals running the full court press. Take uh, the BYU game against TJ Haas. I think he's done it a couple other times too. So overall, in terms of that, Malachi Flynn has impressed me defensively. KJ Fagan, not so much. And his PIPM is a negative 1.49. So it's slightly below average. And it's negative on both the offensive and the defensive sides of the ball, which isn't encouraging, especially for the guy who has the second most minutes on the team. The optimist in me wants to say that it's a combination of a number of things. One is that KJ Fagan sat out last season because he was hurt. I don't remember what the injury was. But regardless, he sat out because he was hurt. And so, you know, you got to knock the rust off a little bit. Number two is that he played at Santa Clara and now he's playing at San Diego State, which should be better competition overall. I don't know that it is because this early part of the schedule has seen at least a couple games. You know, you got Texas Southern should be competition he's at the very least used to playing if not used to excelling against and long island same thing should be competition that he's at least used to that skill level and then grand canyon and san diego i would think he would be used to that too but maybe not those are you know top 150 teams or so and then byu was was a top 100 team probably a top 75 team so i mean you know, I'm hesitant to say how much of that is causing it, how much of an upped talent base in terms of your opponent is causing it. It's it's tricky. The injury thing and sitting out is is the biggest part. And then also getting used to your teammates and figuring out where to get them the ball, where they like to get you the ball. It's it's been concerning. A little bit. And it's still very early in the season. I do want to say that. And that's what I tell myself all the time. My mind definitely likes to find these patterns. And once you see a pattern, you can't unsee it type of thing. And so I tell myself, calm down. It's five games in. Let's see where he's at at 10 games. You know, this whole thing could turn around. It's very possible. But it's it's something to keep an eye on at the very least. I don't think he will ever lose his starting spot just because of the politics of the locker room, if nothing else. And he is one of the vocal leaders and that's worth something as well. It could get tough as Matt Mitchell gets himself into game shape. He played pretty well. I thought against long Island, he's been committing a lot of fouls. I think he's worst on the team in terms of fouls committed per 40 minutes right now. But at the same time, he has the third highest PIPM on the team as I'm recording this. And so at some point one has to, you know, wonder at what point might the coaches start to think maybe bring KJ off the bench. 
and have a lineup, a starting five of Malachi, Jordan Shackle, Matt Mitchell, Yanni Wetzel, and Nathan Mensa. You know, if KJ isn't performing, that lineup could cause some problems. Like I said, I don't think that will happen, but it'll be interesting to keep an eye on and see how the chemistry is and see how the locker room is if that starts to become a thing. And in the end, hopefully KJ gets his feet under him a little bit more because I do think he's capable of more than we've seen so far, especially on the offensive end. He did hit that pretty much game clenching three against BYU. So that was huge. And his accuracy is enough that he does need to keep shooting those shots. If only to keep the gravity good, you know, if, if his guy is focused on him and can't dig down into the post to double Yanni or Nathan, then that's a positive impact. It just, it's a tough one. And I I feel like I'm starting to ramble, finding a hard way to segue. So I'm just going to do a hard segue out of it. Those are the only things I wanted to talk about by myself. So now we will take a quick break And then when we come back, we'll be joined by John Niatawa. Welcome back to the Aztec Breakdown podcast. I am now joined by John from the Half Court Press podcast. Uh, John, how's it going? Yeah, doing well. I appreciate you not necessarily giving it too much of a go in terms of the last name, Niatawa. It's tough, I know. So just it's, that's usually the best bet, just to let me say it and then uh, go from there. Most people attempt it and then seem to be embarrassed after they they uh, mess, mess it up. So kudos. Well done. Yeah, I, I, I host the Half Court Press podcast and uh, write, I'm the beat writer for Creighton Basketball with the Omaha World Herald here in uh, in Nebraska. So glad to be on. Love talking hoops. Uh, I'd do it every day if I could. <laughs> same same here, same here. Thanks for coming on. Um, so let's let's get right into this, this matchup. We got San Diego State versus Creighton in Las Vegas. I know for San Diego State, up to this point, Creighton will be the uh, the highest ranked or the most difficult opponent that the Aztecs have faced. Uh, they beat BYU in Provo, which was huge for Aztec fans because one, it, it was BYU, um, but two, it was a tough game and it was it was on the road. Creighton is recognized to be a better team, though, so this is going to be a big time challenge for the Aztecs and a measuring stick to see where this team is after last year's disappointment. Creighton, on the other hand, they played Michigan already, which is ranked higher. Uh, But I wanted to know, is this game going to be seen as like a similar measuring stick in, Mm -hmm. in that way? Well, you know, San Diego state doesn't necessarily have the notoriety, I guess, of a Michigan or maybe even a Texas tech or Iowa that Creighton's going to play the next day. But, I mean, I look at what the Aztecs bring back this year and kind of the way – like you mentioned that BYU game. I thought that was really impressive um, to go into Provo and get that win. It To me, San Diego State looks like a potential NCAA tournament team. Like they're going to be on the bubble. And so for, for Creighton's standpoint, uh, its non-conference schedule is kind of loaded with a lot of teams 
that kind of fit that profile. They don't, the Jays don't play. I mean, I guess if the Jays were to play Texas tech, then yes, that would be a marquee opponent. But for the most part, it seems like the Jays basically, they, they play a lot of good teams, maybe not great teams, but good teams. And so, um, yeah, I think it's just one of a couple challenges. Like they're going to host Oklahoma. They're going to go to Arizona state in December. Uh, obviously I already played at Michigan. Like I, th- I think San Diego state fits right in with that group of, of challenges and tests that Creighton has in the non-conference. And so, um, yeah, there's a little bit, you know, these teams have played what they played. I think it was Doug McDermott's senior year. Um, so maybe six years ago is the last time they played. Um, and, and San Diego state won. So I think that the coaching staff, particularly coach Greg McDermott will, they'll do a good job of sort of like reminding the players that, Hey, this is, this is going to be a step up and, and a, a legitimate challenge. And I think the players will respond to that too. Um, Certainly, yeah, the Jays have played Michigan, but the last three opponents they've played are not at San Diego State's level, and uh, they'll realize that quickly when they step on the court. So it'll be a really good test, and I'm really intrigued to see how they handle it. Definitely, same. And I think it it makes me like personally really happy to hear somebody from outside the San Diego area say that San Diego State should be at least like a bubble team because you know you're here and when you're in the community and, and participating and stuff you get a lot of group think going on and i try to be objective but i'm also a fan right so you, you like you see these things and you're like man this team is legit and then it's always just in the back of my mind like am i just you know falling for the same thing everybody else is are we just hyping each other up endlessly and then our expectations get too high so it's really nice to hear to hear it come from outside um so that's really cool I mean, yeah, like I, 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 I know that it, the road can be very difficult for a team, say out of the mountain West to earn an at large bid. You have to be so flawless. It seems at times you can't, you got to avoid stumbling. Um, and, and if you do even, even, even a stumble, um, on a night when, when, you know, you don't play that poorly, but uh, you get caught by a team that's just not very good and it, it blows up the resume. Like, that's that makes it tough. But I, I feel like there's a lot of teams over the last two or three years that have been NCAA tournament worthy that just didn't get the same sort of recognition because they don't play in a major conference and they just missed a bid. So maybe that, I, I, I for for your sake, for ASEC fans, San Diego State fans, I hope, I hope that doesn't happen. But it does seem like they have definitely have the potential to at least be on the bubble and to be on the bubble for most of the season. So I'm eager to see how they grow. Definitely. They're in a, they're currently ranked number seven in the wins above bubble stat. That's put out by Bart I don't know if you're familiar with that side at yeah. all, but that's, yeah. that's really encouraging. And I, I point that out to the fans, but it's so, just, it's kind of crazy how every game it matters, you know, like going yeah. to BYU, that game came down to the wire and it really could have gone either way, mm-hmm. but how much of a difference it makes that they went and got that win. I mean, that it could, that could, that game could be the difference between them getting in and them not. And it, you know, it was like decided in the final two minutes. So that's how close it comes. And they're going to have a few more of those maybe on Thursday against Creighton is one of them. Yeah. I think Creighton for, for the Aztecs sake, I think they need to probably get at least one game in Vegas, whether that be against Creighton or Iowa or Texas Tech. And and ideally, 
for Aztec fans, you would want it to be either Creighton or Texas Tech because I think Iowa's ranked a little bit less than the other two. But really, either any one of them, I think if they get one, they'll be looking okay. And none of those would be bad losses. It's just there's not enough room on the schedule to make up for it. And especially, like you said, playing in the Mountain West. There, I mean, there's Utah State is really good, but Aztec fans know there was, I think it was four years ago now, the Aztecs went 16-2 and two in the Mountain West and didn't make the tournament. You know, it was, yeah. it was almost a perfect conference season and it wasn't good enough. Well, and that's really interesting that you bring that up about sort of like, I feel like San Diego State, it's very possible you may see a more desperate, more urgency from that team when they play against Creighton just because of how important it is in the non-conference to pick up wins against quality opponents. Like the, the selection committee is going to look at, it seems like over the last couple of years, they've, they've, as they've gravitated to this quadrant system, like more than anything, especially for uh, a mid-major team or a team that doesn't play in, in like the Power Five or whatever, they look at how you do against the quad. I guess even Power Five teams too. They look at the quad one record. You know, how do you do against the teams? Um, Creighton's athletic director, he was on the selection committee, and he used to say, "How do you do against the teams that are in contention for an NCAA tournament bid?" Like we want to know how you would mm-hmm. you would hold up if you got into the NCAA tournament. So that's how they kind of judge the res- resume. There are other factors, obviously, but to me, that seemed like the biggest thing. So, what is your record against teams that have NCAA tournament potential? And so, I would imagine that San Diego State is going to look at this game and say, "We really need it." Whereas Creighton, um, sure, it's it would be- definitely be a resume boost. But the Jays at the state that they're in right now, they're 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 uh, missing. Uh, one of their starting guards. He, he hasn't played yet this year. He's supposed to be back in a couple weeks. Um, they're going to add a transfer, uh, mid-year transfer at the end of uh, the semester, so middle of December, and he might be a starter come February, uh, kind of a stretch four, six, five thicker guard who can create his own shot and uh, um, Creighton plays small. So he would he would he basically play the four, but he's got a six eleven wingspan, so he'd add some um, some length defensively too. So they think they're going to be a different team in February. And while these games are important, they're kind of taking a big picture view at this point in the year. Kind of like it's almost it almost feels like survive in advance. We'll find a way to do it. But we know that uh, that the team that we are today isn't going to be the team that takes a court in February. So I wonder if San Diego State might be able to catch the Jays a little bit just by bringing in a little bit more intensity and a little bit more desperation. We'll see. That's that's definitely part of the hope. I think that happened a little bit with the BYU game too because they got Yoli Childs out and he's coming back in a couple more games here. And so it was a similar thing where I think BYU is kind of just trying to survive and get through the early part until they get their star player back and then hoping that they're a different team after that. And so mm-hmm. um, I see a similar narrative forming there. Yeah, it's possible. So how has Creighton performed, would you say, relative to the expectations coming into the season? Well, as I stated about the sort of lineup issues, they also lost one of their big guys. Um, Jacob Epperson was coming back off injury. He, he His season was cut short last year because of a knee and a back issue. And he was working his way back, showing good progress, and then he broke his leg in practice. And he's likely out for the year. Um, and the Jays have kind of had to adjust without him. And then you also take away 
uh, Davion Mintz, who's a starting guard who hasn't played yet because of a high ankle sprain. Uh, Damian Jefferson is uh, their four-man, 6'5", four-man, who was hurt at the end of the preseason and is now working his way back to full strength. He looks like he's pretty close. Uh, the Jays just played on Sunday and won, and he, he was impactful in that game and actually impactful Friday, too, when they beat Cal Poly. So uh, he looks like he's getting back to full strength. And then, again, I add uh, that Denzel Mahoney, he's the transfer, is coming in December. So, like, the Jays are still – it's kind of hard to make any concrete assessments about this team because um, they're not they're, – they're still – it's still in flux, it seems, and they're still trying to fit some things together. But what we know is that you know, the size size – the size question, the size issue, that will be problematic for the Jays all year. Um, they start a six seven guy at the five who hasn't played that position really ever in his career. Um, and they bring a six eleven big man off the bench to replace him. And he's an Idaho State transfer who's actually looked pretty good. His name is Kelvin Jones. Um, he's he's agile. Um, really active on the glass. He can protect the rim, but he's still learning and trying to pick things up. So both of those guys have been foul prone as well. So there have been instances when the Jays have played with five guards on the floor. So that size question, protecting the rim, putting pressure on the rim on offense, rebounding, like that's going to exist even when the Jays get back to full strength. Um, that'll be a problem. And I imagine it's going to be one of the keys to the game uh, one way or the other when, when the Jays play San Diego State. But from a positive standpoint for Creighton, it has three extremely electric and dynamic guards. Marcus Zagorowski is a point guard. Tyshawn Alexander and Mitch Ballack um, are shooting guards. They So far, they're all shooting over 45% from three. Um, they're in, incredibly unselfish. They have this really strong chemistry within the trio where they just they space the floor really well. Um, they know where each other is going to be, and they create shots for each other. Um, so... They have carried this team so far through five games. Now they lost at Michigan, uh, but those guys were really good and, and they've been good to this point. They're playing a lot of minutes and they're, do, they're, they're doing a lot on both ends, but uh, it, it's their explosive scoring potential that I would imagine. I mean, if Creighton's going to win this game against San Diego state, like those three guys are going to have a really strong imprint, especially on the offensive end because of their ability to shoot it and make plays uh, for each other and, and, and other players on their team. So um, how San Diego State defends the perimeter, that'll be uh, really, uh, really important. You know, coming into the season, I was of the opinion that the perimeter defense wouldn't be super great just because of, of the players they had. They're all very offensive-focused and – and contrary to previous seasons, a lot of them are much more skill-based as opposed to athleticism-based. And so, you know, the foot speed is just a little bit less. The agility is a little bit less. Things like that. To start the season, though, they've, they've impressed me and they've, and they've been pretty good. So I'm interested to see how they will fare against a Creighton team that currently ranks uh, eighth in the nation in Ken Palm on offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and – one of the issues that I, I saw just briefly against BYU, I didn't watch the whole game, but I saw how much stress BYU can put on you just by making you switch on the perimeter and like dribble handoffs, uh, just subtle screen, off-ball screens to free up shooters. They don't need much space to pull the trigger. You know, BYU, what do they shoot? What do they shoot? Like, I don't know, 30, high 30s from three. You know, they've got some good shooters. 
um, Creighton's BYU, but just a notch better. And the other thing that Creighton does um, really that's uh, Creighton's really good at is push and tempo. Um, they will attack immediately after made shots, missed shots, turnovers, and that is where they a lot of times will catch teams a little bit flat-footed or just not able. I mean, you, they, I'm sure San Diego State will spend the you know the two three days preparing for the Jays and, and ingraining in their head, hey, get back in transition. But it's one thing to say it and another thing to see it, how fast they actually can go. And those guards in particular, um, their ability to find one another, to spot up for threes in transition or to attack the rim. Um, the Jays get a lot of points that way. They played Michigan. And honestly, one of the differences in that game, the Jays had a three-point lead at Michigan. In the first half, the Creighton had 12 points in the first 10 seconds of the shot clock. Um, in the second half, Creighton had zero points in the first 10 seconds of the shot clock. So um, Michigan did a really good job of clamping down and being alert and active um, defensively in transition, and it helped change the game. So it'll be a key, obviously, for San Diego State to try to defend Creighton in transition and to try to be to make sure that you're alert and communicating those switches that Creighton will uh, try to create on the perimeter. Um, that'll be important. I, I'm curious to see if their ball pressure uh, affects Creighton at all. You know, Malachi Flynn, as I saw, he like I, I know he got at least one steal at BYU and he was aggressive. Maybe he got a f- foul called on him, but um, that type of Sometimes that type of uh, uh, aggressiveness has caused Creighton to kind of go back on its heels at times. Uh, I think the Jays have done better at that this season, but in past seasons, a team that's really physical on the perimeter and tries to jump passing lanes and um, you know kind of makes it tough for guys when they catch it, um, uses, their, uses the body a little bit, the hands, uh, not to the point where they're fouling every time, but you know, just making it, trying to make it uncomfortable. That's that, that has been effective against Creighton in the past. Again, I think they've done a little bit better. They're older now. So, um, they, 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 I think they know what to expect and they're playing a little bit tougher, but it could be, uh, something that San Diego state uses to knock them off, uh, off kilter a little bit. And that's something San Diego state has been trying to do pretty much against everybody this season is they've run the press, for at least part of the game, they'll, they'll run some type of full court press, whether it's like a two, two, one, or whether it's, it's a softer press. Like you pointed out with, with Malachi Flynn, when he would just shadow TJ Haas coming up the court and try and, you know, get into him a little bit. And he did, he did draw a couple fouls doing that, but he also got for sure at least one steal. And I know he's gotten a couple steals against other guys too. Just, just playing that full court press there, which, which has really surprised me. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if they ratchet it up if they want to take that risk by really trying to to press Creighton as it brings the ball up. Some teams just show a light full court press to kind of take some of the steam out of Creighton's transition or it's like quick uh, quick offense just so it, it takes longer for the Jays to get into their uh, offensive sets. So we'll see. But I do, I'm, I'm really curious. I mean, I'd imagine that Malachi Flynn has the assignment of guard and Marcus Segarowski, who's Creighton's point guard, and he'll probably try to do as much as he can to bother him and, and wear him down when he brings the ball up. So uh, that matchup will be, will be fun to watch. And an interesting note, too, is that Malachi Flynn, Creighton recruited him during uh, when he transferred, when he, tried to, when he left Washington State. He came on campus for a visit, and I believe he played some pickup 
uh, ball with these guys too. Um, obviously he considered going to Creighton and then ultimately landed at San Diego state. But, uh, yeah, so they, they know him a little bit and, uh, I'd imagine that some, you'll see some competitive juices and emotions, uh, come out on the court too. So how he plays, uh, it's obviously going to be important offensively and defensively for San Diego state. <laughs> Definitely both sides trying to make a, trying to make a statement there. Would you say it's, it's, it's hard to determine, especially because you pointed out there were some injuries and stuff. Would you say that being forced to play small as, as they have has actually been a help to Creighton's offense? You know, we live in an era where everybody's trying to get small and get skilled and have shooting at all the positions. Do you think that's helped Creighton or do you think, you know, is it, is it the opposite? Would they maybe be better if they had more size, one of their injured guys, or maybe it's somewhere in the middle. What are your thoughts there? Well, Creighton wants to play small anyway because, you know, their four-man, even when they're going to be at full strength, their four-man is 6'5". Okay. So they want to play small anyway, but they're, they've had to play even smaller than they would have ideally wanted to. I mean, when you start a 6'7 dude at center and the 6'7 dude, Christian Bishop, is a really nice player, but, um, you know, he was a guard in high school who just kind of sprouted up late and is now learning a lot about being a big man. And so now you're asking him to play that center spot against obviously thicker, stronger, taller individuals. <laughs> There's a lot to learn for him. And so um, I think ideally Creighton would prefer not to go any smaller than it already is, but sometimes it has to. I mean, against uh, North Florida on Sunday, there was a stretch in the second half where it's two big guys, uh, Bishop and and. Uh, Kelvin Jones got in foul trouble. It was about a four-minute stretch, seven or eight possessions, um, and the Jays were with five guards. Now they did a good job because they switched screens. And North Florida doesn't have it. North Florida doesn't have the size that San Diego State does. Like I don't even know if it, 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 North Florida really has anybody that you have to be concerned about in terms of a back to the basket post type situation. Um, I don't know how much Mensa posts. But the um, what, what's the name? What's the name of the number five a guy who's number five? Uh, Yanni Wetzel is the okay, guy. So he, he'll the post, guy. right? Yeah, yeah, he posts. Um, and so in that scenario, with five guards on the floor, that would be an automatic sort of uh, situation where I would imagine Creighton have to bring a double team, and then it's in rotations, and maybe San Diego State can attack. Now North Florida didn't have that ability, so. Creighton could just switch screens and, and kind of play pretty solid defense. Um, and then on the other end, yeah, it was really, really lethal. I think it was something like it was more than two points per possession for that, that stretch of play that the Jays um, had shot a lot of threes, got good looks and, uh, and were, they were actually really active on the glass too, with the guards who were quick and maybe a little bit tougher to box out. So there are obviously positives and negatives to it. I don't think it's uh, coach McDermott, mentioned he called it kind of the emergency situation <laughs> you know five guards would prefer not to do that i don't think but uh you know it's going to be there it's this is like the second straight game i think where creighton's found itself in a in a bad spot because of foul trouble to its uh five men and uh, obviously i would imagine that'll be something that san diego state tries to attack on thursday so um yeah they do play small but they'd rather not play excessively small if possible. So in your mind, would it be fair to say that maybe not the determining factor, but one of the determining factors 
in this game will be whether Creighton can run San Diego State's big guys off the floor because San Diego State has four guys that are listed at 6'10". And one of them hasn't played yet. He's been injured. Uh, We're recording this on Monday before the Tennessee State game, so maybe he plays tonight. But uh, there hasn't been any word about that from anywhere that I've seen. But at the very least, they got three guys who are who are six ten. Whereas Creighton, you mentioned one guy is six eleven. Um, so would it be fair to say that one of the key matchups is whether Creighton can run San Diego State's big guys off the floor, or whether San Diego State can manage to keep them on and be able to dominate down closer to the basket? Mm-hmm. For sure, I think Creighton on offense will look to. Uh, to push tempo, it'll tell its five men to get out and sprint the floor um, and try to see if it can get some easy buckets. They're going to run a ton of ball screens, so they'll pull that five man out of the paint, and he'll have to, you know, track back and make sure he doesn't give up a lob to the big man who sets a screen and rolls to the rim. And they'll, I mean, they have possessions sometimes if they don't get the, the quick look they want. I mean, they'll run three ball screens, you know, so it's a constant movement and you talk about doing that up and down the floor repeatedly. It, they can wear down opposing big. So that'll be a, that'll be a, a, uh, um, a, a point of emphasis, I'm sure. And for San Diego state, I'd imagine, well, it'll, it'll be interesting because I, I, I would think that, um, the height advantage should give San Diego state a little bit more, um, I don't know if it's leeway or maybe it, it sort of invigorates the guards to be a little bit more aggressive and assertive as defenders to take away those three point shots. Cause they know, well, if I do get beat off the dribble, we have, you know, six ten, six eleven at the rim to make it tough for those guys to finish. So, um, I would imagine that that would be a plus for San Diego state and, and Creighton's ability to what it does when it gets inside the paint, um, will be obviously an important part of the game. Are are the Jays challenging the shot blocker? Are they able to get that big to commit and then they can dish to somebody else who's cutting to the rim or flashing for a, for a jump shot. Um, Those decisions when, when the Jays are run off the line, because I'd imagine obviously San Diego state doesn't want to give up threes when the Jays are run off the line, how, um, how, what kind of decisions they make in traffic against Michigan, they settle for a lot of mid-range jump shots. And great Creighton has good shooters, and a lot of times it can hit those mid-range shots, but um but they didn't in, in that game. I think it was I think Creighton was three of thirteen on jump shots in ball screen situations. Wow. So Michigan ran uh they ran a drop coverage uh to to against ball screen. So their big man essentially um just kind of sat in the middle of the lane and invited those guards to come downhill and attack him. And Creighton's guards weren't able to uh, make plays at the rim against that guy. And a lot of times they didn't even engage or challenge him. They just settled, settled for jump shots and missed them. So I'm kind of curious to see what kind of ball screen coverage San Diego State runs. Some teams really hedge out hard to try to make sure that Creighton's uh, you know, dribbler doesn't get downhill and then creates problems in rotation and stuff like that. So um, there's obviously a lot of ways to do it. But uh, it'll be that'll be a key to the game for San Diego State too, and and maybe the fact that it has a size advantage allows it to to take some chances in ways that it maybe normally wouldn't. Yeah, I think one of the things I was I was going to ask, and you kind of already already answered it, but I was wondering uh, 
if if Creighton had guys who could come off the screen and pull up and hit that three point shot coming off the screen, if the big was to was to stay down, it sounds like at Michigan that didn't work. I mean, it will probably be a matter of just the Aztecs will obviously come in with a game plan, but the coaches have definitely been known to to switch it up depending on what's happening. And so it's very possible if they start uh, in that drop coverage, like you said, and then if Creighton is hitting shots, then they'll press it out more. And then, you know, it's, it's a chess game between, between sure. the coaches. It always is. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll be eager to see um, how they choose to defend. Um, those ball screens are obviously really important within Creighton's half court offense. It kind of starts and stops with that. And yeah, they're, they're definitely better than they showed at Michigan in terms of a jump shooting team. I mean, off the dribble, they, they, they can do a lot more, but I think, I think the difference, I mean, in that game, I thought um, the, the guards were hesitant to try to make a play inside and, and they, they could have gotten a little bit deeper and engaged that big man a little bit more. And then, um, either gone up for a shot to try to challenge him or, or found a teammate. Um, they, they, so Creighton plays Villanova twice a year. And I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with watching Villanova play, but they do, they are so good at driving to like the block or the paint, setting their feet and then just pivoting and waiting for people to get open as they cut and move around. And so that's one of the things Creighton's worked on a lot over the last couple of years. And I think that they wish that they would have done a little bit better job of that sort of thing at Michigan. I'd imagine that you'll see it some in this game too against San Diego state where you'll see instances where Creighton's they're almost driving, not to score the drive to attract the defense and then pass. And so uh, we'll see how, um, how, how much they're able to do it. Cause I, I would imagine it'll be part of the game plan. Yeah, I, uh, I'm definitely, very excited about this game. Just, I mean, like I said earlier, it's going to be a test and it's, it's going to be a game that's super important for the Aztecs. If, if you had to say projecting into the future right now, you know, it's, it's Friday or Saturday after the game, whatever. Um, what would be, you know, if you're, if you're writing or if you're talking on your show or wh- whatever you may be talking with friends, what would be the reason if you had to point to one thing, if, if you were to say Creighton won this game or Creighton lost this game, what would be the thing you would expect to point to? Mm. Well, hmm. I, I mean, I think Creighton's going to have a challenge defensively against San Diego State's guards in particular because I, I would imagine the Jays are going to have to put so much of an emphasis on protecting the rim and helping down on, on big guys that it's going to open some things up for the shooters, whether or not they get that jump shot, but maybe they can um, create some things off the dribble and just put Creighton in some scramble situations. Um, I think how guys shoot, I guess, for San Diego State, are, are they hitting open shots? Are they able to create and, and make Creighton pay when it's in rotation? Bad closeouts, can they attack those? I mean, uh Jordan Shackle, is that how you pronounce his last name? Shackle? Yeah, yeah that's like it. Like he was amazing against BYU, um, got hot. And Creighton has struggled at times against good shooting teams, just sort of like um, turning the faucet off. Like once it gets going and a team starts feeling good and, and confident and they're hitting 
tough shots. Maybe maybe they're shots that they aren't really good shots, but they go in. Like um, Creighton has a hard time of changing that mojo on the defensive end because Creighton's just not they're not defensive oriented um, by nature, and so uh, that to me, I, I would imagine that we would be talking about some defensive miscues and um you know just sort of an inability to slow down some of san diego state's playmakers if indeed the aztecs were to win just from creighton's standpoint on the other side for creighton um i mean it might be more of the same uh in in terms of their ability to make shots and and to make some plays on the interior their, their guards obviously doing that so um Guard play, it, that, that's what this game is <laughs> more times than not anyway is what we talk about. But I think guard play is going to be huge in this game. Interesting. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask just to see if uh, if your answers resembled mine. Um, like if somebody had, had asked me. And I think on for a San Diego State victory, I think you pretty much had what I would have. You, you brought up Jordan Shackle. I think he was five of seven against BYU or six of seven against BYU, something like that. And five of them came in the second half mm. and it was a ridiculous performance And between Jordan Shackle and Malachi Flynn. Both of them so far this season have been pretty adept at hitting shots off of screens as opposed to just like receiving a kick out and hitting a shot. And so that yeah. adds a lot of offensive, offensive versatility. Uh, I think my biggest worry with Creighton, we, we brought it up earlier, but just uh, whether, whether the San Diego state bigs will be able to stay on the floor. Um, and I was talking with a guy in, in my DMS on Twitter and we were talking about like the potential matchups and it's possible San Diego state, you know, can just send out like their wing players and be able to match up with, with Creighton size because San Diego state has Matt Mitchell who can play the four, you know, he's six, six, 240 pounds. And then they have uh, a Gweka rope, who's six, six, but has a seven foot, one inch wingspan. And he played some center, especially last year against Nevada, who yeah. all their players were like six, four to six, seven. Um, so it's definitely possible that they can match up, but I don't think, I, I mean, I don't know. Creighton is just so good offensively that it's hard to imagine anybody being able to match up purely with them like that. Right. That's a really interesting point is like, will San Diego state play small with Creighton or can it get enough out of its bigs to where it's not a, it's not, it doesn't have to do that. And the other thing I would note too, I just realized this, I forgot to mention it. I noticed that San Diego state at times will like to push an attack and transition, um, which is fine, obviously, especially when you're good at doing that, which it, it appears that they, they can really, they have some guys who can go downhill and finish. And, and obviously you can spot up and get some good shots in transition. But when the game starts going a little bit faster, that obviously favors Creighton. Like Creighton wants to play up tempo. They welcome it any time that a team wants to run with them. And if it, if the game has a feel of a shootout, then I would favor Creighton in that. I think where where San Diego State is be, would be better suited in this type of matchup is uh, to kind of grind it out a little bit to make Creighton work on defense um, for 15, 20 seconds of the shot clock at the very least uh, to put them in like I said, put them in rotations, make them switch, make them communicate and make them do it over and over again. I feel like that to me feels like the best recipe. Uh, but there are teams that, especially in non-conference when your, your legs are feeling good and, uh, everything and you're, you know, 
feeling like we're winning games things are working well let's let's try to uh let's try to speed this up and have some fun that's when teams have gotten caught um against creighton over the last few years trying to run with the jays um it it it, it hasn't always gone well so uh, that that'll be a key for san diego state to find the right balance because obviously if it's a two-on-one situation like yeah you got to push an attack but three on threes four on threes three on uh, three you know two on threes like picking your spots in terms of uh when to when to take advantage of that or when to slow down i think will be important for for san diego state definitely i think especially on the defensive end san diego state likes to slow things down and make other teams work. And when Brian Dutcher first became the coach of San Diego state, I think he wanted to run, run, run. And he's, he's kind of backed off of that a little Mm. bit. Uh, And this season, I mean, it's only five games in, but I, I looked up before we started talking, I looked up on, on synergy, how well the Aztecs have played in transition and they were 18th percentile. So it was not very good. Oh, so they're not good. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think I mean transition plays are are easy to remember the ones that that work, mm-hmm. you know. I, I think there's like a lot of survivorship bias with with transition plays because you know when I saw that I was like what like I remember just watching KJ Fagan go like one on three and he hit the shot like you would think yeah. they're pretty good but but through five games and I mean you know some of that might be synergy isn't a perfect resource you know it might be a couple issues with classification but. Even so, like you're not going to have three or four mistakes and then jump up from 18th to 70th, you know, True. so they're, they haven't been great at it. And so I think what you said is spot on between, between whether San Diego state can slow it down, which also favors their big men or whether uh, they try to, they try to run with Creighton. Yeah. Creighton has this, it, it, it has this ability to really, to, to lure teams into that game, that solid game. They did it against Clemson last year. Clemson is not an up-tempo style team, but they played in the eighties with Creighton uh, last season. Uh, UCLA a couple of years ago is an up. They, they do want to play fast, but they learned that it's, it can be to your detriment sometimes to do that against Creighton. Most teams in the big East will not, will not um, push tempo with the Jays. And I brought it up because I just remembered a couple instances in the BYU game where I saw uh, San Diego state push push the ball up the floor after rebounds or um, certainly after, you know, a live ball turnover you want to push, but a uh, quick shot sometimes, even if they go in, they just, it, cause it just speeds up the action. And sometimes the Jays welcome that. So um, that'll be something to watch as the game unfolds. Yeah, it's a great piece of analysis, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. I think that's all I have. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to go over? Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, I, I, you know, just out of my for my curiosity, I don't know how much this appeases your listeners or not, but for like, sure. I got sure. to watch uh, Aguiko Aro play in high school, and I was kind of curious how he's fitting in and where you like, where do you see sort of his role. Uh, with this team I mean I know he's a really good defender um, and and he seems to be pretty good around the basket um, and add some versatility to what they want to do but but what kind of year do you anticipate him having so a rope he had a uh, a pretty major surgery this offseason 
I can't remember the name of it, but it's the same thing that happened to God. Now I can't remember the other guy's name either. The really small point guard that plays in the NBA. Um, I don't know if you watched the NBA at all. He yeah. played for like the Celtics. I don't know what team he's on now. It was it was something like with his hip, I think. Um, okay. And it was supposed to take like nine to twelve months to recover, and a rope is back and playing, and it's like six or seven months later. Was so it that Isaiah was, Thomas? You know, is that that was, was Isaiah Thomas the one who had the hip thing? No, no, it wasn't. It what? wasn't. Um, okay. Oh yeah, no, no, yeah, you're right, Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Um, so a rope had the same surgery that, that Isaiah Thomas had and, okay. and, but he's been, he's been playing really well. He's been moving well. He's definitely, he's still kind of young and he's more of a defensive presence, uh, with his, with his long wingspan and the Aztecs play him more as a power forward. Mm. And so, uh, you know, he's six, six, seven, one wingspan, play him as a power forward. The thing he does best right now, he's, he's best on the team at it, both by the numbers and what uh, coach Duchess says, but he's the best offensive rebounder on the team. And so they'll either bring him out as the, the backup power forward or depending on the matchups. Like I said, last year they played him at center a lot against Nevada and, and they were able to beat a ranked Nevada team two out of three times and I think a rope was was a large part of that. It, it, it just gives the Aztecs a lot of versatility if the other team wants to go small. He's he's getting better about hitting like that 12 to 15 foot jump shot. I think he's even hit a three this year. I might be able to look it up real quick. But he's not expected to, you know, hit shots from deep. Oh, no, I don't have him hitting any threes. He's just taking a couple. But he's not expected to hit shots from deep. But he's, you know, a hustle guy and an energy guy. And he just will fit whatever role you want him to defensively. And then on offense, he'll, for the most part, either try and finish down low or get the putbacks. That's what he does best. Gotcha. In your analysis of him, you mentioned his offensive rebounding ability. And that just kind of reminded me that if we're talking about a San Diego State win, we might be talking about their ability to get offensive boards um, because – the Jays have struggled there at times in terms of just getting bodies on people. Um, on Sunday against North Florida, they gave up uh, seven offensive boards on North Florida's first 14 misses. Now they cleaned it up a little bit as the game wore on, but they can be susceptible at times um, on the glass. And so whether it's a rope or Mensa or Wetzel, like I feel like all those guys are pretty good offensive rebounders and, um, and it's very likely if they're on the floor at the same time, like if a rope and Mensa's on the floor at the same time or Wetzel and Mensa or Wetzel and a rope, like they're going to be ma- One of them is going to be matched up against a guard. So they'll have more strength and more length and um, more height. So maybe they can work their way to get some offensive rebounds. Now you're kind of playing with fire a little bit there, just because if you crash the glass, that means that means one less, one less guy's getting back in transition. But, um, if it's just two guys who are crashing or even just one guy, um, you know, you can just win that one-on-one matchup. I feel like rebounding probably rebounding is not a very fun thing to talk about, but for Creighton, it's a key every game. And, uh, you know, North Florida almost worked itself into an upset just because it was out hustling and out working the Jays on the glass. Uh, they did it. They, they did it for a half on Sunday and, and then, and then the Jays kind of shorted up, but 
that is a weakness point for for this team. It will be all year, and San Diego State has some guys that I think um, can get some second chance opportunities and maybe make a difference in the game, the outcome of it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Aztec fans will be will be happy to hear that. It's rebounding. I you know I put out keys to the game like on Twitter before every Aztec game, and rebounding has been on on every one of those as well just because the Aztecs have pretty much been bigger than every team they've played against so far and I I was thinking I wasn't going to put it there against Creighton just because they are um at least in Ken Palm they're uh, they're slightly above average on the defensive side of the boards mm-hmm. in terms of the whole season and so it's kind of surprising to hear you say that but it's also kind of encouraging I think for for Aztec fans, at least, uh, well, to hear that. Yeah, and I'm just saying, I think I think San Diego, San Diego State's the biggest team collectively that Creighton's played all year. Uh, Michigan obviously has size, but then yeah. again, Michigan did not crash at all. They were totally committed, sort of the NBA style. Juwan Howard's their coach. They were totally committed to just getting back on defense. Um, and then the other teams that Creighton has played, it just happened to find opponents this i'm sure it wasn't by design it's just worked out this way that just aren't very big um and it's worked out really well for creighton so far because obviously the jays are small but they played some teams that just the way that they um line up they're they just they don't have as big of an advantage at that four spot that san diego state will because creighton's gonna have a guard at the four and uh whoever is on the floor for san diego state has a chance to to dominate the glass so um yeah I think it'll be really important in this one. I, I guarantee that the that the Creighton coaching staff will be uh, talking about rebounding a lot in practice this week. Awesome. Yeah, that's really encouraging. John, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Do you have anything you want to uh, plug before you head out? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I, Omaha.com uh, slash Creighton is where you can find all my coverage. I'll probably write – um, one or two things leading up to this game. I always do sort of like a little scouting report with keys to the game for Creighton and uh, some players to watch on the, on the other side. So in this case, San Diego state, some I'll put some thoughts on what I think about a couple players and then make a prediction. So that'll be up and, and sort of some, maybe, you know, sort of general preview of the game. That story will be up uh, Wednesday or Thursday on, on our website, omaha.com slash J. So check that out. And otherwise, uh Yeah. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. We'll see you later. All right. That does it for this one, Aztec fans. Shout out to my day ones, Crazy Waffles and Joe Fry for giving me five-star reviews. That was awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you all for listening, and I will catch you next time.